Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. I'm Ed Gaudet, your host today, and I'm joined by Karen Habercos, the Chief Privacy Officer for the University of Chicago Medicine. Welcome, Karen. Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we're excited to have you here today. We have a lot to cover. We have a little bit of time. So let's get started. So you've got a pretty interesting background. I think I read you, were you with the Joint Commission? I was at the Joint Commission. What did you do there? That seems eerie and spooky and scary, (laughs) a little scary. No. So let me go back even a little bit further. Yeah, please. Prior to being at the Joint Commission. So in a past life, I was actually a clinical social worker. And I worked in psychiatry, so with people who had pretty severe mental illness and children, and ended up then moving into, I have this sort of strange way that I've moved into compliance, if you will. So for many, many years, worked as a clinical social worker at the University of Chicago Medicine, and then left there with a bunch of colleagues to go work for a healthcare startup, a niche mm-hmm. healthcare startup. And then went to go work for the Joint Commission in the compliance department. So not just privacy, all things regulatory compliance on the Joint Commission side. So they have the same types of compliance things we all have in healthcare. They're a business associate, obviously, to Hmm. healthcare systems. So Mm -hmm. on that side of the fence at that point and learned lots of things about foreign corrupt practices and conflict of interest and privacy being one of them. And then ended up going from there back to University of Chicago Medicine in privacy specifically. I realized privacy was the area of compliance that I wanted to specialize Mm. in. So that's how I got back to University of Chicago Medicine in privacy. Interesting. Now, did the Joint Commission ever have its own data breach where they had to actually go through an OCR audit? No. (laughs) (laughs) I would hope the answer would be no on that. (laughs) Very good. So you did a good job then, sounds like. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. So um, I'm always fascinated by the debate about privacy versus security. Ah, good question. Yeah, I'd love to get your spin on that. One of my favorite questions. So this is one area that I'm super focused on right now. And so I have this thought that privacy and security teams probably need to be jointly strategizing much more than they are. I actually think that in terms of risk, it actually decreases the level of risk for an entity when they're able to successfully do that. Privacy, and I think they actually share a lot in common. I think privacy is really about the regulatory responsibilities. So is security to an extent, but what are the, in this case, consumers or patients, lots of different things going on in the privacy world right now. I think it covers all sides of the fence. And so when I say privacy in my role, I'm talking about patients, I'm talking about employees, I'm talking about consumers. So people who come to us or yet to become patients. In that vein, I think privacy is really focused around what are the rights, the data rights of those people or any one of those areas, what data rights do they hold and what are the regulations that surround the data protection for those people? How can we use and disclose or process data? You can call it a number of different Mm -hmm. things, but how can those things be 
adequately done under the law to serve the transparency of everything from the entity side and from the patient consumer employee side. And, so I think that's what privacy does. And security is much more technically involved, mm-hmm, I would say. Mm-hmm. What's the working relationship like with the security team? When privacy and security, like I said, work really well together, then you can strategize to do things in tandem. So things like incident risk management, things like third-party risk assessments. A lot of times, third-party risk assessments that the security team might do certainly influence the way that I might contract with a third party from a data protection side or what data rights I might allow our internal users and external users to have based on the security of the risk behind that, the security that they have in place. And then I think there's even just small things related to data governance, where people should be together walking hand in hand, how you message your two programs to your board of trustees. I think there's just so many areas and we could talk about this much longer than the podcast, but that I think is really important. So teasing out what are the areas that the two groups can work together and it's really everything. And privacy Mm -hmm. is really exploding now in terms of this whole privacy enhancing technologies and how that works with the security team too. the audits that are being performed on both sides. I think there's important information to be gleaned there as well in terms of what you're looking at. Do you feel like there's a better understanding at the board level of privacy versus security? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it depends on how it's messaged to the board. So I think it's really important for both to have a seat at the table with the board so that they can explain this is what privacy looks like, as I just mentioned, in terms of this is the transparency we want to provide people. This is how we want to use our data. This is how we can do it. These are some of the risks involved. While the security person is also sitting at the table saying, here's are the ways that we can technically control these things, or this is the governance that privacy and security has put together around these things to secure our organization. So I think it really depends on how savvy the board is and how it's messaged Mm -hmm. to the board. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So we're going to switch here. We're going to talk more about your personal life. Okay. What are you most proud of over the last couple of years? We've all been through COVID. That was obviously a stress to all of us. But as we came out of it in 2021, 2022, what are some of the things that some of your highlights of last couple of years for you? The easiest one maybe is professionally, right? I mean, so I've moved our privacy program from just compliance-based to a risk-based privacy program. So that's super special for me from a professional standpoint. From a personal standpoint, I have successfully, and I don't know if I can take all the credit for this, but successfully managed to get my daughter graduated from college. Excellent. Um, She's about to become a productive adult like the rest of us, taking on her first job and moving away, obviously, from the Chicago area. Mm -hmm. into another state, into this Mm -hmm. first job. And so I'm pretty proud of that. Excellent. That that we've raised a pretty successful human. Yeah, no, that's so important. We have three daughters and it's, you know, you give them roots and you give them wings, right? You have to really help them find their wings as they, you know, as they become adults and become, like you said, productive citizens. And um, is she close by though? Or 
So now she's back home, but she will be moving very shortly to Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. Close so enough. Not too far. Yeah, drive yeah. and hour flight. So that's the other weird dynamic that happens, I think, that we didn't experience as much, but our kids seem to go and come back and go and come back again often. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that happens with college. I mean, that was the interesting thing. So she left to go to college mm. and then COVID happened mm. and returned home to finish college, essentially, mm-hmm. from yep. Zoom meetings. Yeah, from Zoom meetings. <laughs> yeah, which is such an awful experience for that generation that it had. I think so, too. They've lost ah, something. There. So much. I know. Yeah. I have a daughter who's a senior now. My last daughter and my youngest and senior at uh, Stevens Institute in New Jersey. And I just feel so bad for that class because yeah. know, they entered in during COVID and experience has been just so different than everybody else's experience. So I think that's true. Yeah. Given the challenges and given the pressures, certainly in healthcare, what keeps you up at night as a privacy officer? Yeah. I, mean, I think from a general sense, the things that keep me up are the things I don't know about. What I don't know yeah. is probably what keeps me up at night. That's probably for most people, though. The interesting thing is that I prefer when people tell me things in advance. And so I prefer when people ask me permission in my organization so that I can slow walk things out when I can or put mitigations in place or tell them how this can best be done. And so I think what keeps me up at night is when people don't do that ahead Mm -hmm. of time and tell me when things are happening. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's right. Outside of healthcare and IT, what's your passion? What would you be doing if you weren't doing this? Oh, gosh. I think I probably would be back in social work. So from a very young age, I wanted to be a social worker, a psychologist, something in therapy mm-hmm. for people and in the clinical sense that way. And I never wavered, really. I mean, that was like I took a psychology class in high school And then I never wavered. Mm. It was my degree in undergraduate, took a master's in social work, became a social worker in this very strange environment of healthcare startup. You take a job and the job I took was to manage social workers in that job. But then as a startup, you end up wearing lots of different hats Mm -hmm. and compliance just happened to be one of those hats. And so that's how I made the switch. I'd probably go back to social work. I actually keep my social work license Hmm. And the off chance that at some point I ever want to see people again from a therapy perspective. Yeah. Now, is it the dynamic of behavior that interests you? Yeah. So one thing I'm super passionate about, well, two things I would say, is that one of the things I'm very cognizant is that everybody has a story. Hmm. I mean, everybody comes from some place. It's almost always unique. People have lots of unique stories. That whole history that people operate from sort of defines who they are as an adult Mm -hmm. and the way that they operate in the world. And this is just fascinating to me how people get that way or why they make choices that they make or why they have biases that they have. And so that sort of thing has always been of interest to me. So the interesting thing, though, as a privacy officer, I use so many techniques that I learned as a social worker in the same way to understand why staff make choices the way they do or why they've made decisions to do certain things, especially when there's some sort of privacy incident, for example. Mm -hmm. You want to know, like, why did you do it that way or why did you make this decision? And so it really just goes back to that same thing. Everybody's got a story and there's a reason why. So. 
incidentally, I'm reading this book now called Noise. I don't know if you've heard of this book before. No, no. Okay, I'll recommend it. It's by Daniel Kahneman. And it's really just about like human judgment and how we're flawed. And like how two people who are faced with very similar situations, medicine, law, forensics, I mean, you name it, business strategy, like when faced with the same types of information, make very different decisions. It's really just about Mm. the noise and things in their life. Yeah, I know that is interesting. Similarly leading teams of individuals and trying Mm -hmm. to get the best out of them and Each one is, each individual is so different in response to different incentives, stimulus, whatever, right? And so it's trying to tap into that and really understand it is really always fascinating to me. I think that's one of the hardest things in leadership is just knowing the people you're leading or people reporting to you and to your point, what drives them or what are they striving to do in their life? What's their background story? The background is so, the etymology of an individual is so important because you can tap into things that aren't necessarily on the surface, but by really understanding that what's behind that individual, you can, again, help them live their best life, you know, live the best version of themselves, whatever, right? Whatever you want to term it. I love when that happens though. That to me is like the, um, and then I don't know if you've ever had this, but individuals that worked for you or worked with you come back years later and say, remember when you said this to me? (laughs) Like, oh no, don't tell me. (laughs) I hope it was good. <laughs> well, no, I mean, because it has an impact either way. It always things always stick yeah. with certain people. And something that you might not have ever thought twice about stick with that person in some way because of something in their former life. Yeah, exactly. All right. So given that, thinking back when you were 20, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Oh gosh. For me, I think it would just be to trust myself more. You know, it's one of the things I tried to impart on my daughter, sort of going out of the nest, if you will, is just, you're not going to have all the answers, although you're going to think you do. But there is some level of trust that you have to give yourself because I think you look at other people around you and you think, wow, they've all got it together. They have all the answers. And the reality is it's probably nobody has. Nobody has it together. I don't even have all the answers anymore now. I just feel more confident in myself saying like, I don't have the answer. So I think to give yourself a little bit of grace and thinking that you're not going to have all the answers, but to trust that you're making the decision based on the information that you have, or you're making the best judgment you can at the time. And I think that's so accurate. And it's so interesting when I was putting together this series of questions that I was going to ask folks that came on, that was a question that I loved, but I had a different expectation in terms of what I was expecting people to say. And do you know, most everyone says something similar to what you just said? And I just find that so beautiful, actually, because I had this like, you know, well, I would have told myself to buy Microsoft stock or (laughs) I would have told myself to, you know what I mean? Like travel more. But I love the grace of getting back to yourself of trust yourself. It's okay. You've got time. I just think that's such a graceful view of one's previous self. I certainly didn't share. I would have told myself not to be such an idiot and to be less of a (laughs) lunatic. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's the thing, right? Like you're so hard on yourself. I mean, I'm pretty hard on myself now yeah. still, but I think, you know, you're sort of extra hard on yourself when you're younger and there's really no reason to be, you don't, no. you just don't have enough experience to be that hard on yourself. Yeah, exactly. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question because this is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. So here we go. <laughs> what is the riskiest thing you've ever done? Oh, wow. So I am fairly risk tolerance for a privacy officer. And I've done 
a lot of risky things, I would say. Probably the most recently risky thing is jump out of an airplane, skydive. You did? Yeah. fantastic. Yeah. When when did you do that? A couple of years ago. It was actually during COVID. That's That's fantastic. Where did you do that? It was probably about an hour away from where I live. So past the Chicago suburbs, even an hour out. Okay. Do you know Karen Blanchett? Yes. So she, I don't know if you knew this, but she was part of a women's skydiving team. I know. I had no idea. And they hold some records. It's like a world record she holds. She's going to kill me for saying this on the podcast. Oh, wow. No, it's really cool. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've seen videos of her skydiving. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely had the pictures and the video. You know, people would be like, did you really? I'm like, I have. (laughs) (laughs) So what was that like? Was it what you thought it would be? Because you train, obviously, right? So you... Oh, well, not really. I mean, no, no oh. I mean, really, like hmm. the training involves watching a video, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially, really? like going cool. up in an airplane. That's um, it? Like, watch well, the video? I mean, the first time you go, you have to do a tandem jump and they're not mm-hmm. like letting you go out there yeah. by yourself. But yeah, the training was not nearly what I thought it was going to be. It was essentially a video and then they talk to you and then you jump out of an airplane. But it was fun. I don't recall ever being nervous about it. I wasn't hmm. hesitant about it. I mean, it was our turn to jump and we just went and that was the end of it. I landed on my seat. So I was excited about that piece. Wow. That's so awesome. Yeah. Will you do it again? I would. Yeah. Sure. Cool. Well, you said you've done many risky things. Give our listeners oh. one more risky thing. Oh gosh. I mean, <laughs> I don't know that any are that much more risky. So white water rafting, oh, cool. hot air ballooning, not oh. nearly as risky as jumping. Well, hot the air ballooning today is Fairly risky. I'm not sure. I want to be <laughs> so I hear it was another one that I didn't think that it was any big deal, but I've talked to other people and they're like, wow, that's pretty risky. Yeah. that's fair. Well, you could get okay. shot out of the sky too. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you want to be careful if you. That's play right. All right. Yeah. Any last things you'd love to share with our audience about your career or about lessons learned in privacy or anything? The best thing I can say is that it's really important, especially in healthcare for privacy right now. I think we're all pretty well-versed in HIPAA. It's been around for a really long time. And I think it's important for us to remember now, especially, that we have to understand that there are other things besides HIPAA and privacy that are probably very impactful to our organizations. And so I feel very strongly that we need to start looking at moving privacy away from just compliance into really that just because this is the risk podcast. I mean, but for real, we need to start moving into sort of a risk-based model for privacy. And that includes doing all of the things that folks who work in security are very used to, right? Mm -hmm. Like identifying gaps and risk ranking and all of those things that folks in privacy, this is really new to them for the Mm -hmm. most part. And using now the NIST privacy framework, which Mm -hmm. is kind of a novel thing for privacy in in healthcare. So I think that's the best advice I can give is sort of start to shift your mindset away from just compliance to compliance and risk. Yeah, I think those worlds are converging. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing. But I also think that the importance is elevating outside of the silos that they've been in over the last decade or so into much more enterprise level concerns and focus, which is a good thing for everybody. Right. No, you definitely as a privacy officer have to embed yourself in every area of your organization. Right. You're going to miss something if you don't. Well, data is the lifeblood, as they say. 
That's what they say. Cliche, but they say That's that. That's what they so. say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Karen, I appreciate your time and joining the podcast today. Thanks again for your service and everything you do at the University of Chicago Medicine Center. And thanks to our listeners. And if you're on the front lines of protecting patient health care and safety, we appreciate everything you do. And remember to stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T.com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet, and until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Never sleeps.